Let's get down to business. I don't got no time to play around with this. This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Well, hello and a happy Friday. Good to be back. I missed last week. I missed you. I missed last week's show and I missed you. I apologize. Uh, I was molding the minds of youth. That's what I was doing. I was speaking about radio at a, uh, a local school, Timberline School out in Waukee. Uh, thanks to Mr. and Mrs. Raish for having me. As uh, I, you know, Kira, I've been doing this for a while. I may, I may know a thing or two. And you know who's totally not interested in hearing you speak about radio? Eighth and ninth graders. <laughs> because... Oh, that's brutal. Eighth and ninth graders on a Friday... <laughs> don't... Look... I know that it's a different era, and I grew up loving radio and listening to radio, and my our generation did, and and kids today have a lot of other ways to consume the media. Radio is still very popular. Like I'm not going to sit here and preach. Oh, radio's still king. Like we know there's other other people at the party, so like we all try to get along. But man, try to talk to young people about anything. I imagine is really really tough. Uh, when you told the ESPN staff yeah. that you were going to be gone. I was imagining like elementary <laughs> schoolers. No, 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 no. This eighth, is, eighth that's brutal. Eighth and ninth. It's right across the street from Waukee High School. Oh. So it's, it's, it's right there. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to start with what's your favorite radio station? Because kids would have been like, Spotify. Thank you. <laughs> I get what I get more often than anything. My dad listens to that station. Oh. My dad listens to that station. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Ugh, thank you. I appreciate that. So, yeah, I, that's where I was last week. And I apologize for not being here. We're going to change something on the fly. I just got a guest who, uh, to come on. And talk about the biggest hot button issue in sports. We're going to call my friend Dennis Fithian, who works for Rivals, uh, Michigan Rivals, uh, because we got a situation in Ann Arbor, and I need to get the lowdown on it. Because I came on this show uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, when this story first began to break. And I said, is this really that big a deal? And I honest to God thought this story was going to go away. I honestly thought this story was going to go away. And I was like, nah, it's sign stealing. Okay, maybe they'll get a slap on the wrist. They're going to deal with this thing in the offseason. Maybe they'll lose one scholarship or whatever it is. But no, I mean, you talk about once you get past the National Football League, the biggest story in sports is the sign stealing scandal going on in Ann Arbor with the head coach of the Michigan football team and some guy named Connor Stallions joining me right now from Michigan Rivals. My good friend Dennis Fithian is with us from Ann Arbor. Dennis, appreciate the very quick turnaround. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Well, no problem. I'm just getting ready to head out to the airport to see if Jim Harbaugh is getting on the plane or if he's going to be uh, told to turn around and go back to his room. How surprised are you that this exploded? Because I was just saying, right as we were bringing you on, when this story broke two, three weeks ago, I was on the air, and I'm like, and sign stealing, everybody does it. You ain't cheating, you ain't trying, that kind of thing. Did you ever expect it to get to this point? Well, I'm surprised that it's happened in the middle of the season. I mean, we've seen some of this stuff before down through the years in, in college football. Uh, Cam Newton with Auburn where there's a threat, like they're going to pull him off the field. But in the end, what has happened in my lifetime and yours and everyone else that's listening is that the NCAA or the conference has said, okay, in the off, we're going to wait to the off season, and then we are going to look at all sides. We're not going to rush to judgment. This time around, you got a new commissioner, and you got a new president in the NCAA, and they've decided, like, if they've got something and they feel like they've got something, they're going to act now. The only problem, even if they think they have Michigan caught red-handed, is that Michigan's sitting there and saying, hey, you think you've got us. Well, we've got goods on a lot of other teams, and we're going to blow this whole conference up. We're going to go nuclear. And so that's where we're kind of in a standoff right now. You've heard a lot of different things, a lot of it's posturing, like 
You know, the, the, earlier in the week, it seemed like Michigan was going to, uh, Jim Harbaugh was going to have an indefinite suspension, and then three games, and then two with a sportsmanship policy. And that was going to, last night, you know, I'm saying, well, it could be just a fine. Then you wake up this morning, and it's back to, to two or three games. It's going to be this afternoon. The Wolverines are supposed to be in the air right now. The captain's supposed to be telling everybody to get their seat trays up and fasten their seat belts. So that's where we're at. We're headed to Happy Valley. It feels like, I mean, I, I've seen the shirts, Michigan versus everybody. Being from Detroit, Dennis, I know the, the Detroit versus everybody mantra uh, that comes from the big city over there. But within the Big Ten, the what are we up to, 14 schools in the Big Ten or whatever, is it Michigan versus everybody? Because it feels like every school, Matt Rule, who just got here, Ryan Day, it feels like everybody is coming together to beat down Big Blue. Well, I, you know, if you're a Michigan fan, that's exactly what it feels like. You know, I can recall all of the different scandals down through the years, and it always felt like that, you know, it was three or four years after the fact coach would already be gone in the pros all the players would have graduated or they were in the pros and then there would be some suspension handed down or some money everybody's like great you know how about getting the people when it when it happens and now that it's in real time you're like wait a second maybe maybe not now you see why you know you you slow play it 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 feels like it is you know if you're a michigan fan it feels like um you know you're going uh 55 and a 54 and you're getting thrown in jail, and you don't even have a chance to say anything. I mean, that's how Michigan fans feel. And it's hard when you're right in the middle of all of it to try to step back and say, well, uh, what happened in the offseason with a couple level two violations that Harbaugh, I think, gave the middle finger to the NCAA, and they ended up increasing that to a level one. So, you know, Harbaugh, he he doesn't always have harmony with – the people that he's working for, or in this case, you know, the Big Ten Commissioner's Office and the NCAA, you know, he, he's fighting it. I, I would say this, that when you look at uh, Harbaugh coming into Michigan, Michigan has died on the hill, whether it's the right thing to do or not, in terms of paying players down through the years. They've been adamant uh, after the Fab Five scandal that, you know, they weren't going to do that. They weren't going to pay players. And even in NIL, they decided that they were not going to go and promise money to players. They're also like, that is the hill that they're going to die on. So they got into that rule book, and they started to say, hey, this is a gray area. This is where we can attack. This is what we're going to do. And now, you know, one of their, uh, you know, junior staff members may have taken it a little bit too far. It looks like he did take it a little bit too far. And, you know, hitting them during the season is unprecedented. You know, it's up to each person that's listening right now to say, okay, you know, yeah, you're just saying something is unprecedented, but, they also have them pretty much dead to rights. Should they do it now or should they wait to the off season? It's such a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's making uh, to have it down to, they don't have a decision 24 hours, less than 24 hours before they're supposed to kick off with Penn state. You know, that's a little wild to me. It, it feels like, w- wait a minute, what are we doing before the biggest, ironically, the biggest game of the year. They didn't do this before Rutgers. They didn't do this before any of the other garbage teams that have been on Michigan's schedule. So the timing does feel a little bit strange. And again, we're talking to Dennis Fithy and Michigan rivals, Connor Stallion's drinking buddy joining us here on ESPN Des Moines. Dennis, um, <laughs> I, I, I do want to go back a little bit. You know, for the last three years, Michigan's been dominant. And that's allegedly when this Connor Stallion stuff began. Before that, Michigan was a second-tier at best Big Ten team based on wins and losses and their ability to beat Ohio State. Now, also in the last three years, NIL has become a thing. Harbaugh has recruited really, really well. It's hard to not look at the divide of three years ago when allegedly your guy, Connor Stallions, was on the sidelines and wearing masks and mustaches and everything and, and, and say, well, it's just a coincidence. Isn't that a little hard to believe? Yeah, I mean, if when you put it like that, you know, you you and you put the numbers up there, you say, yeah, I mean, this is the reason, right there. But you know, a lot of people will tell you, even if they have, you know, the uh, if they have the signals, you know, you can change them up, and it's not that big of a deal. You know, if you have the signals, I mean, why are you out there looking for them? It's not a big deal. I get that part. Uh, I I think you know, you go back two years, and Michigan 
you know, they, they, they had some really good players. Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo. I mean, these are the guys, Dak mm-hmm. Hill. I mean, this is a first-round pick. Yeah. Number two pick overall when it comes down to Aiden Hutchinson. And there was a shift in philosophy. It wasn't just signals and, you know, making the plays. The shift was Michigan went to when everybody else was throwing the ball and spreading the field out. Harbaugh was like, we're going to play physical at the line of scrimmage and we're going to run the ball like it's the 1970s. And teams were about, certainly Ohio State wasn't ready for that. You know, they got pushed around, and then they, they doubled down and did it again last year. And then now, you know, you know whatever you think about uh, the quarterback, J.J. Uh, McCarthy is one of the best in the country. You know, now they've, they've got the team, too. So, you know, maybe it's both, maybe a little bit of uh, one and a lot of the other, you know. If you're asking me, do I think that they benefited from being able to, you know, get other teams and, and decode them? Uh, better than anybody else. I, I, I think there's uh, th- there's some truth to that, but I also think that it takes away from the stuff that you know they've actually did on the field. And if you're listening and you're rolling your eyes, then you're making excuses for everything else. Like I get that. I get that part. <laughs> well, we, we've called him Maze Dennis, Maze and Blue Dennis for a long time. Dennis Pythia joining us from Michigan's rivals here on uh, ESPN Des Moines. My name is Mike Wicket. Um, well, Mike, you you think that you know I'm like Mr. Maze and Blue and everything else, but man. I've the, known you for 20 years. You have been Maze and Blue, Dennis, for 20 years. Honk, honk, Ufer's horn, and everything. Yeah, you know, that is accurate. <laughs> and yet, I, have, I also feel like I can look. You know, the one time I went to jury duty, and, you know, my dad was a police officer, and they said, you know, when they ask you if your dad's a police officer, they'll just tell you that you're excused. You know, so I went in there thinking, okay, I'm waiting for this question. And then I said, hey, uh, they said, is your. Anybody in law enforcement? I said, yeah, my, my dad. And then, you know, I was expecting to, you know, start to get up. And they're like, you feel like you can uh, render a fair judgment? And I said, yes. And that is actually how I've operated over the last 30 years <laughs> since I've been in this business. I haven't picked Michigan every single time. Look, you take the 20 people that cover Michigan, and, and all 20 seem like they're just all with Michigan. Like everything, every point. Oh, no, it's Michigan. Oh, it's Michigan. Uh, you know, Stallions was a lone wolf. You know, he was out there. Those glasses, uh, that's not even him. That was uh, uh, a computer-generated image on the, on the you know, central Michigan sideline. I mean, it was real wild stuff. I mean, I haven't gone that far, so I don't know. That's my, that's my, uh, my, uh, my statement about whether I'm impartial or not. <laughs> Dennis, when, when, when the, this does come down, and I don't know if it's going to come down while uh, the, the Wolverines plane is in the air on the way to Happy Valley or if it waits till next week, what do you think will actually come down based on, I guess, the knowledge Harbaugh had, the severity of this, the cloud that hangs over this, and penalizing Michigan this year, knowing what that could financially cost the Big Ten? I think what is going to happen if, if uh, I'm guessing here is that there's not going to be anything that's going to happen until after the season because not crediting Jim Harbaugh or the team, or the, it's coming down to the lawyers. Michigan has positioned themselves. If you go through that 10-page uh, response that they sent to Tony Batiti, the Big Ten commissioner, there's a lot of uh, statements in there where you look that, that basically Michigan saying, look, we are holding over the head of the conference this grenade, and if you do anything to us, we are pulling the pin and we're dropping it on you. And I think that's what's happening right now. I know that you know the, the commissioner might feel like he's at a point of no return here, and, and he's ready, but Michigan's ready to burn it to the ground if it gets to that. So I think if there's even a fine, I think Michigan, you know, might spill the goods on a bunch of teams. And then it's a lot of different things that be in play. You know, Michigan, you know, looking to the ACC or, or SEC and <laughs> oh, when, when the God. contract runs oh. out, all of it, oh. they're, if they're going down, they want to take some people with them. I think is the, the bottom line when it comes down to it. So I don't think, I think the lawyers have, uh, have made that clear. And I think when the Big Ten lawyers look at this and say, hey, what are we really doing here? Do we want to eat our own? You know, we're penalizing somebody. We get that. But we can also just easily wait to the offseason, keep all of our money, keep Michigan in there, and let the NCAA deal with it. Oh, if you're following the money, I think that's what's going to happen. Usually it all comes down to money. We're both dads. That's what you say. That's what you always said to me, Wicked. It always comes back to the money, man. It does <laughs> not matter. 
And as dads, you and I both know the best defense from kids is, well, everybody else was doing it. So it's fine. It'll be just it's it'll be just fine. Dennis, thank you so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Good to hear from you. Stay well and enjoy Michigan and Penn State this weekend. Yeah, you too. I hope I can just watch the game. <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. Dennis Fithian. You can check him out. MazeandBlueReview.com, part of the Rivals Network. Follow him on Twitter, at Dennis Fithian. Coming up, we'll flip from the Wolverines and the Maze and Blue over to the green and gold of the Green Bay Packers. We are eight games into the Jordan Love era. Big road test for the pack at the Steelers. Peter Bukowski from Locked On Packers joins me next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. My name is Mike Wicket. Big NFL weekend. And my Green Bay Packers, people are actually feeling good about them for the first time in a month. <laughs> Maybe longer than that. Joining me from Locked On Packers. I believe it is the most listened to Packers podcast on the interwebs. Peter Bukowski is with us. Peter, appreciate the time. Are you guys the most listened to Packers podcast in the world? Um, you know, I'm glad you said it and I didn't. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, according to the uh, the people who chart those things, I mean, I'm not out there hand counting uh, ballots. Not election day, but, uh, yeah, that's what they tell me. Well, uh, congratulations on all your success, Peter. It's been awesome to watch from afar would you look at the first eight games of the Jordan Love era as a successful first eight games for the quarterback? This is just so much better than when I'm on with Bart Winkler because all he does is, is razz me for 15 minutes. But um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'll text Bart that. I'll, I'll definitely send him that. <laughs> no, I, uh, the, the Jordan Love experience has not been, I think, what anyone expected it to be outside of 1265. I think if you ask people inside the building, they knew that there would be ups and downs, but they thought everyone would be better. I mean, they thought this whole offense would look better. And I think Brian Gutekinds hit it on the head the other day when he spoke, the Packers general manager, that, look, we, we have to get everyone around him playing better um, so, so you can get a better evaluation of him. And Matt LaFleur is always going to defend his quarterback. Um, he did it with Aaron Rodgers, um, but it's different when it's Aaron Rodgers. Like you expect him to defend Aaron Rodgers. But also I think in some ways you expect a, a coach to be, feel like, okay, I can be a little bit more critical of someone like Aaron Rodgers or at least a veteran of the caliber of Aaron Rodgers, maybe not Aaron Rodgers specifically, um, because he's, accomplish as much as he has. And then with a quarterback like Jordan Love, you want to, you know, take it a little easy on him in the media and give him a chance to, to stay calm. The thing that you hear, though, from everyone in that building is Jordan Love is going to be the hardest on himself of anybody. And everyone in that building has confidence from the players to the coaches to the front office that he will get this figured out, that he will get this uh, on track, and that he will play his best football down the stretch here. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that what we saw on Sunday was the most diverse and creative game plan of the year for Matt LaFleur, and it ended up being the best performance from Jordan Love from a consistency standpoint, from an accuracy standpoint, some big-time throws down the field, his best performance of the season by a mile, throwing the ball past 10 yards down the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and part of that is you get better blocking, you handle Aaron Donald for the most part, and, yeah, you beat up a, a mostly bad defense, but you still have to outscore a Sean McVay offense, albeit with a backup quarterback. And there is, in these moments, uh, a, a lot of pressure on the Packers because they've, they've been a subpar team or at least sub-expectation sub this year to, to beat the teams they're quote-unquote supposed to beat. And they did that on Sunday, which is why people are, are happy for yeah, once. Yeah, it's amazing how much better the team can look when they don't have a horrific offensive line performance and drops and, and just simple stuff that you expect out of young teams. And I know as a Packers fan, like I didn't have high expectations of this team this year. I don't know what yours were, Peter. I don't know what the guys at locked on Packers were thinking, but I was like, there's so many young, there's going to be mistakes. And I think this team is going to be better by the time we get to November and December than September and October. And if last week, albeit against a bad Rams team, but the Packers are a bad Packers team. So, like, when you look good against a bad team, maybe you're improving. Like, I felt really good coming out of that game, even though it was against Brett Rippon. I think that's right. And and we measure teams uh, in a lot of ways. And you look at something like Football Outsiders have been doing this for a long time. And, and Aaron Schatz, who, who 
um, handles out there now at FTN Fantasy has has been on the the train for a long time that you know the best way actually to measure teams is how they play against bad teams. Beat the crap out of bad teams, and that's what a good team looks like. Because right. against against other good teams, you're going to get beat sometimes, and you're going to lose close games, and that's just weird. But if you can beat the crap out of bad teams, that usually signals good teams. So yes, the, the Rams are not a good team, and especially with a backup quarterback. But still, the Raiders were a bad team, and the Packers lost to them. The Broncos were a bad team, and the Packers lost to them. The Falcons are a bad team, and the Packers lost to them. So you, you, can't, say all of, you can't say all of the second part and not say the first part, which is you have to beat these bad teams, and the Packers hadn't done that. Now they have. Uh, and, and I love your point about you know this team is going to look different. By, uh, Halloween was sort of my uh, line of demarcation. I want to see them look different post-Halloween. And guess what? We've got a one-game sample size. They look different. And so let's see if this is something that they can build on. The schedule gets a lot harder. Um, and then the last month of the season, the last five games, like they could legitimately go 5-0, and uh, which means, you know, just steal one of these next couple. And you, you actually, I know this is going to sound crazy, but you really do have a chance to sneak back into the playoff race here if you can just keep your head above water before the end of the season. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy to, to look at the playoff picture in the NFC and see Green Bay sneaking their way in at 9-8 and eight or something along those lines. I don't think the division is a reality. I don't think they're in the Lions class right now. We saw what happened when they got bullied at Lambeau Field on a Thursday. But I, I still think that there is a lot of good, a healthy offensive line that you know protects uh, Jordan Love. Actually seeing Aaron Jones get unleashed, as Matt LaFleur said before last week's game. I mean, there is talent on this team. There's still a lot of inexperience on this team, but there is talent on this team. And I don't know how many quarterbacks in the NFL right now can go 20 of 26 in a football game. I mean, Jordan Love made some great throws that were getting dropped for the last six weeks. A lot of those got caught this week when they played the Rams. It, it, it reminds me a little bit, actually, of some of the defensive coordinator conversations that have been had with the Packers over the last few seasons. It's like, yeah, am I, am I Joe Barry's biggest defender? No, not by any means. Was I Dom Capers' biggest defender? No, not by any means. And, and the same thing with Mike Patton, although I, I was actually a much bigger fan of Mike Patton than I think most people were. Um, but your defensive coordinator looks a lot better when your guys are in the right spots. Like, just execute what is called versus worrying about the call and that's what good teams are able to do, teams with as much talent as the Packers have, to your point. And so, uh, you know, this is a, a team that has that talent, but if you can't accomplish even the most basic route concepts, like if, if you are screwing up a stick concept one week and then again the next week, that's when you start to go, okay, what's going on here? Is this not being taught the right kind of way? Do you not have players who are able to comprehend this stuff? And that's why it was really encouraging to see last week Matt LaFleur kind of went zero to 60 on this going, look, we simplified everything. Maybe what we need to do is actually go the other way. Let's run our most complicated stuff and just say, all right, let's think or swim. But you do it with a play that by, by virtue of being a little bit more complicated might actually have a little bit more upside. And so, okay, yeah, we might bust a protection here or there, or we might run a wrong route here or there. But when you do it right, you get a 30-yard gain to Luke Musgrave. You get a 25-yard gain to Dontavian Wicks. You get a 37-yard gain to Christian Watson. Things, when you, when you do it right, look great. Whereas for, for the Raiders game and the Broncos games, you're going, okay, this is a lot of work to get, a, to, to get off a five-yard throw. And the only throws in this concept are five-yard throws. Like, you just can't live that way because in order to be that, you, you have to be able to execute game-to-game, week-to-week. They needed to be the variance team that they were to start the season. And I think... They were coaching a little bit scared the last month. If you can put that out the window a little bit and just let Jordan Love tote the rock, just let Aaron Jones be a focal part of this offense, I think they're going to be fine. Talking to Peter Bukowski, Locked On Packers, the most listened to podcast on the internet about the Green Bay Packers. Follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Peter, I know you and I have both tweeted about this last one on Jordan Love. Why are all of his deep throws five yards short? Well, because if they're not five yards short, they're five yards long. But I'd rather um, have them be long so somebody can yeah. try to run under it as opposed to waiting let the, the safeties and the DBs catch up to Christian Watson. I, I think part of it is aiming, not throwing. Okay, I think that's, that is some things that we're seeing from Jordan Love, not just on those deep throws, but on some intermediate and short throws even, where he's trying to be perfect. I just want to see him cut it loose. Just just sling it. He's got arm talent. I mean, the, the, the thing that, that just like, boggles my mind a little bit is he had a throw two weeks ago 
against the Vikings back across his body to Jaden Reed. That was like 50 yards in the air. And, and two plays before that, he'd made the same throw to Romeo Dobbs that he missed. And that was like a 60 area yard throw. And it, it just sort of looked casual. And then on a 35 yard throw to Christian Watson, it comes up five yards short and inside. I don't, I don't quite understand that. Some of it is the inconsistencies in footwork, but I saw someone tweet, you know, that, that Jordan Love is such a waste of arm talent on these deep throws. And, and in some ways, that's true mm-hmm. because he has this big arm, but he gets worried about being perfect. What, what you saw in college, though, Mike, was there were times when, you know, he was inconsistent in college as a deep ball thrower. But the ones he hit were gorgeous. And we're not even seeing those. And I think part of that is not having Christian Watson, not having those runaways. Like in, in college, you're able to get, and we've seen this in the past, Christian Watson last year, you just get behind the defense and there's nowhere to go. You're just throwing it to grass. The Packers haven't, I mean, can you think of more than like four or five opportunities that the Packers have really had like that this season? Let gets those. Love, doesn't, gets love those. doesn't have time for guys to run to open space the first six well, weeks of the of, year. That's part, of, that's part of the problem too. But what I was going to say is this, the other piece of this with Love is, yes, he had deep ball inconsistencies, but especially in that 2018 season when he was so great at Utah State. He was making these incredible throws to the middle of the field, balls in traffic, balls with anticipation, um, into tight windows, and you're just going, "Oh my god!" And the the deep stuff didn't bother you as much because you're, he's he was so incredible in the middle of the field. They they've basically taken that out of the offense right now, and they did they did really well against the Rams throwing outside the numbers, which is not easy to do. In fact, that's it's much harder to do. And Aaron Rodgers always preferred to live outside the numbers. And one of the big criticisms I had of Aaron Rodgers later in his career was. Please throw to the middle of the field. Be willing to throw to the middle of the field. But we've seen in some of the interceptions from Jordan Love why that is, that, that things can be a little bit more muddled in the middle of the field. There, there's a little bit more traffic that, that maybe you need to navigate. You can guess wrong more often because you need to see the safety, the backside safety, and both linebackers. Whereas on a, on a ball to the outside, you just usually need to high-low it, okay? Where's the safety? Where's the corner? Okay, bang, I can throw this ball. And, and so I, they need to get back to – have, he needs to get back to having confidence throwing to the middle of the field, but more more than that, the coaching staff needs to have confidence in him to continue to attack the middle of the field. If he can throw the ball on the outside the way that he did against the Rams, we know he can throw in the middle of the field. Uh, he's just got to he's just got to know that. Peter Bukowski, uh, check out his podcast, Locked On Packers. It is the most listened to Packers podcast on the Information Superhighway, the World Wide Web. On Twitter, at Peter underscore Bukowski. Peter, thank you for coming on, man. Appreciate you. No problem. See you later. There he is. Again, follow him on Twitter. One of my absolute favorite Packers follows, at Peter underscore Bukowski. My name is Mike Wicked. Coming up, Nike is going to sell four collegiate basketball jerseys. Four of them. One of them happens to be of a player here in the state of Iowa. You can probably guess who that is. Tell you next. Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook, 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. My name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Happy Friday! Busy sports weekend. Listen to me. If you want live sports, just listen to this radio station. All right. We always have live sports on during the weekends, during the week. Let me see if I can do it off the top of my head here. Uh, tomorrow early, we have got Drake football against Presbyterian. The Bulldogs have won six in a row. And they go for number seven against Presbyterian. That game is at 11.30. Is that right? 11.30 for the pregame and 12 o'clock for the kick. Is that right, Kara? All right. Nailed it. Nailed it. After that, top 10 battle, Georgia Ole Miss, one versus 10. We're going to have that game for you right here on ESPN Des Moines. And then on Sunday, oh, what do we have Sunday? Do we have an NFL doubleheader? Or is that last week? You don't know. What do you? I write these things. I should probably know them. I know we've got, I think we have uh, Drake women's basketball on Sunday, followed by an NFL game on Sunday. So I think we have Drake women against Iowa State. All right. Drake and ISU right here on ESPN Des Moines. And then after that, we have Washington and Seattle out of the Pacific Northwest, the Commanders and the Seahawks. So we got live sports. All right. All weekend long for you right here on ESPN Des Moines.
don't know if you saw this last night. I don't know if you've been under a rock. I've been trying to tell you. I've been trying to get you to watch. But my gosh, Caitlin Clark is amazing. Clark hits the three. Clark goes right at the basket. Count it. Clark answers behind the back. Into the lane. Left-handed. Clark gets the layup. Clark. Got it. Clark. Step back. Good. Clark again. I don't know what you do if you're the other team. Because they beat, Iowa beat uh, Virginia Tech yesterday, 80-76. to 76. Caitlin Clark had 44. What do you do if you are the other team? Other than, like, I remember when Davidson was in the NCAA tournament, around 2007, 2008. And Steph Curry was playing for Davidson. And Steph was doing his Steph thing, where he was hitting just like Caitlin is now in 2023. Everything. It doesn't matter. Runners, short jumpers, threes, threes from the logo, and that was not a thing. Like, nobody was doing that when Steph Curry was doing that. And I remember teams would literally double him the entire game, and that was the only way to slow him down. He still would score. What do you do if you're the other team and Iowa comes to town? I mean, listen to me. When I read you a quote, from the head coach of the previously eighth-ranked Virginia Tech women's basketball team. All right, his name is Kenny Brook. He's the head coach. Here's what he actually said after the game last night when uh, Caitlin Clark had 44, eight boards, and six dimes. I love my girls on my team, but sometimes you're playing checkers and she's playing chess. She's that good. That's not a talking head saying that. That's not somebody on ESPN trying to pimp the women's game. That's not somebody on a podcast using one of my favorite cliches of the checkers, not chess, or chess, not checkers thing. I actually sent that in a text today to a friend of mine, but it was about football. That is the head coach of the team that you just beat that is talking about your best player, the best player in the country, and I believe the best female basketball player on earth, better than anybody in the WNBA. I believe that. You may not. You may disagree. That's fine. She was 13 of 31 from the field. She had five threes. She hit 13 free throws. But what do you do? Like, she had, what, 27, 28 the other night? She had 44 last night. And everybody, every time down the field knows she's getting the ball. She's probably bringing the ball up the court half the time, if not more. What do you possibly do besides go full Steph Curry defense and double her. And will that matter? Because the thing about Steph is the same thing about Caitlin. She's a great passer. She passes the ball at a different level. Finds space and angles and spins. And before you know it, she might catch and release a pass right away. That leads to a layup. She would have had more than six assists last night. Her team just misses a lot of layups. That happened last year with Zanano in the middle. And I don't know where Monica Zanano is now. I know she didn't make the L.A. Sparks roster. But she is. she's not just an amazing scorer. She has a brilliant basketball mind. I can't wait to see her in the WNBA. Because her assist numbers are going to be off the charts. Because there are going to be far fewer women missing layups at the WNBA level than the Iowa collegiate basketball level. I mean, last night she could have had 44 and 15. She really could have. Iowa missed that many layups last night. Wide open layups at times. And it's that's got to drive Coach Bluter insane. But she is going to wind up being an absolute legend if she's able to stay healthy for, the, for her career. I, I am just, I am blown away by this. And you know who else is blown away by this? Fans. This game. It's been a cool journey for myself because I started in college when it was COVID, so I played in an arena with absolutely no one other than cardboard cutouts and our family members. So <laughs> it's been a cool journey, and I think that's maybe, I don't know, skewed the way I viewed this whole thing to unfold as crowds like this should become normal for women's basketball, and I think Iowa has a great history of obviously Title IX and putting women's sports at the forefront, making it important. Think about that. Her first year in 2020, she was playing in front of cardboard cutouts and her parents. 
the crowd last night had more than 15,000 people. That was not in Iowa City. That was not at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. That was in Charlotte, North Carolina. That is the Caitlin Clark effect. The 9 million people that watch the Final Four, that is the Caitlin Clark effect. With all due respect to South Carolina and LSU, they're not moving the needle the way she does. Because nobody's doing this. Nobody is doing what Caitlin is doing. I had some notes. I think I forgot to print them out. I want to hear. I want you to hear from Stephen A. Smith. All right, from and he was in Iowa uh, football homecoming weekend. He had a sit down with Caitlin, and and obviously he is a fan, as we all are, of the great Caitlin Clark. I love this woman. I really do. I love this young lady. This girl is the best in the world on a collegiate women's level. I don't care what anybody says. There's nobody better than her. She is a sensational talent. No question about it. She is the Steph Curry of women's basketball. That's her 38th career, 30-point-plus game as a college basketball player. She's done 40-plus several times. She's sensational. She's a marksman extraordinaire, and she's a wonderful, wonderful person, incredibly articulate as well. And I think that what you'll see is the WNBA. You'll see people clamoring for her. Just watch the game because we love the women's game. Caitlin Clark, ultimately, in the WNBA is going to be something special to behold because she's special now, and she's only getting better. I'm going to read you the list of all the players in the history of college basketball on the men's and women's side that have had 45-5 and against top 25 teams. Caitlin Clark, end of list. It is it. She's the only player in the history of college basketball to have multiple games of 45-5 and against top 25 teams. Nobody's done that. That's 40 points, five rebounds, five assists. Nobody's done that. Men's side or women. I don't, like, I don't know what, we're running out of things to say about how great she is compared to everyone else she is playing against on the women's level. One more from Caitlin Clark, who is just thrilled. She says all the right things, too. I mean, you got to, she's great on the court. She's also great behind the mic when she's talking about the, the women's game growing. I grew up a fan of women's basketball, and I've always understood there's really great players in this game that's really fun to watch. The players are very skilled, and at the same time, they're some of my biggest role models and the people that I looked up to, so it's cool to see myself on the stage now. And It's very hard to wrap my head around the environments that we get to play in, but I never take it for granted, and we're very far from home, and we still have an incredible crowd and many young girls that are screaming our names, and at the end of the day, that's what matters more than you know scoring points. Again, 15,000 people showed up in Charlotte. Now, that's somewhat close, I think. I don't know where Virginia, where Blacksburg, Virginia, and Charlotte, North Carolina are on the map. I, obviously, it's a pro-hokey crowd. But last year, anybody who was hosting Iowa saw a bump in attendance by like two, three, four thousand people. More people just want to see her. They sold out every game. Season tickets are sold out every game for the Iowa women's basketball team. Where does that happen? I don't even know if that happens at UConn. I don't even know if that happened in in Tennessee during their run in the 90s. I don't even know if that happened at Louisiana Tech back in the day when the Lady Texters were great. Like, I, I this doesn't happen. She is a phenomenon. You know, there was a, an interesting conversation about those Sports Illustrated covers about phenoms who actually lived up to the hype and and the two that people were talking about and comparing were Bryce Harper who I remember when he was a high school kid seeing him on the cover of Sports Illustrated and they were talking about how he was going to be the next great thing and Bryce Harper's been great I think he's won two MVPs I think he's won a World Series like Bryce Harper's been really really good I think you would say he's probably lived up to the hype the other was LeBron James Obviously, LeBron has lived up to every bit, if not exceeded the hype, when he was coming out of Akron, Ohio. Caitlin Clark is that phenom. She is the biggest phenom probably in the history of women's sports. Like, I'm trying to think of a, colle- a collegiate athlete that we are going to hype this much that I believe will actually get to that level. 
of the absolute GOAT, Mount Rushmore, whatever cliche you want to talk about. I mean, Michelle Wee was so hyped. The golfer never lived up to it because they always put her on the men's tour. Now, you're not going to put Caitlin Clark in the NBA. She wouldn't make a roster. But you put her in the WNBA where the game is easier for her, obviously, to, to match up. And I'm not trying to discredit the WNBA. But they're two different levels of basketball. But she's going to take over the WNBA. And she's either going to go to Indiana, L.A., Seattle. I think those are the three teams that have the best odds to win the WNBA lottery in the draft coming up next year. And she's going to be great. And she's going to be the face of women's basketball for a decade, if not more. And oh, by the way, Nike is going to sell her jersey. For the first time ever, Nike is going to be selling jerseys of active college basketball players with their name on the back. The four names they are going to be selling, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, who, by the way, is probably going to go number two in the draft or number three from UConn. She's fantastic as well. She blew out her ACL, I believe, twice, which stinks. I don't know who Juju Watkins is. I had to look it up. She plays in Southern California. So the four, three of the four jerseys that Nike is going to be selling replica jerseys of for 90 bucks a pop, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, Juju Watkins. Three of the four are women. The other is Bronny James, LeBron's kid. $90. You can buy them on Nike's website, Dick's Sporting Goods. She obviously has that deal now with uh, the NIL deal with Nike. And that's why when she goes to the WNBA, Nike's not going to be sad. They're going to be happy. Bigger exposure. Bigger cities. Larger markets. But that says something, man. That really does. And, uh, you know, you only get about 25 of these games in the regular season. So next year when she's playing for the Indiana Fever or the Seattle Storm or the L.A. Sparks, which, by the way, putting the star, the game's biggest star in the biggest market in L.A. that, you know, could possibly, I don't think the New York Liberty are in play for that number one pick. They just lost the finals. That sounds like a great conspiracy. Where are you going to put Caitlin Clark? Indiana or California? Where does the WNBA want to put their most marketable player? Indianapolis or Los Angeles? I mean, Seattle's had great history, too, with Sue Bird and the Storm. Coming up on the other side, I'm going to give you the biggest storylines of the National Football League as we head into week, what are we in, week 10? One, two, three, yeah, not, yeah nine weeks down. We're heading into week number 10, the biggest storylines of the National Football League. It's next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One oh two one FM, thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. Kira is our producer. Kira, you have just made me realize that maybe we didn't explain the rules of the fantasy football league to you. Now, last year, your first time ever playing, mm-hmm. you had a good team. I did. You didn't have to do anything. It was kind of set it and forget it for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. This year, your team <laughs> sucks. But what I'm okay. noticing, but what I'm, my sucky team beat you. That's fine. That's all right. <laughs> We're not here to talk about me, Kara. This is more about you. Mm. But I'm looking right now at your team. And actually, you've made nine moves. You've made nine moves so far. <laughs> but when you're sitting in out of 14 in 12th place, the way our league is set up, you have the like the priority uh, for free agents and the waiver wire mm-hmm. goes from the bottom up. Yes. So. After my wife, whose team really sucks, <laughs> you thought your team was bad. No. And then one of our sales guys, John, his team sucks more than your team. But you have the third highest priority when it comes to the waiver wire every week until you move out of that spot. Yeah. So you should be adding players to your roster. I've made nine moves nine. because daily I've had to do that. Okay. Just making sure. I guess weekly. But every time it comes up. Every time. Yeah. You all right? No. Tried to make a trade with you earlier this year to help you, and you said no. No. 
Uh, <laughs> it is week 10 of the National Football League season. It's incredible it's already week 10, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to say? Can you believe it's already week 10? Biggest storylines in the National Football League, uh, in no particular order, for me, are this. Uh, injuries. Just how bad some teams are. Teams that are trying to convince you that they're good every week. The new contenders were like, oh, maybe, okay, welcome to the party. And then the actual contenders. I want to start with the injuries. Uh, first and foremost, there have been some massive injuries in the National Football League. It began week one, four plays in, when Aaron Rodgers popped his Achilles. I mean, you watch the Jets, and you're thinking to yourself, God, what could have been, right? Like, Brees Hall is so freaking good. Garrett Wilson is so good. That defense can be really, really good. If Aaron was better than he was a year ago for Green Bay, I know he's better than what Zach Wilson is showing. I mean, if they had any competent quarterback play, that team would have two or three more wins. And it makes you wonder, like, at the trade deadline, because another one of the big injuries, of course, Kirk Cousins. I mean, if you're a Viking fan, we got a lot of Viking fans around here in Des Moines. If you're a Viking fan, you thought the season was completely over when Kirk Cousins' Achilles popped. Back-to-back old dudes' Achilles, they pop. When, in fact, you make the trade for Josh Dobbs, because I've always been saying, I think Kyler Murray's going to wind up in Minnesota. I think the, the Cardinals are going to try to showcase him that he can still play and then move him to get out of that contract. I think Minnesota might be a Kyler Murray away from contending for a Super Bowl. I really do believe that because they're not there with Jaron Hall. And everybody thought, well, Josh Dobbs, that's, a, that's not a real signing. Dobbs goes in, in in relief last week in Atlanta. He's had the playbook for like an hour, and he leads him to a victory. Like, that was the most surprising victory of the National Football League season. And Dobbs, especially if you're a fantasy player, he's really good. I mean, he's not going to win you an MVP, and I don't think they win a Super Bowl with him. But between the Vikings playing defense well and Josh Dobbs, this is a playoff team. So I go back to the Jets. Why weren't the Jets in on Dobbs? This wasn't a long-term commitment. Did anybody else make a phone call about Josh Dobbs or was it just the Vikings? And what, they give up like a fifth or a sixth round pick? They give up nothing to bring in Josh Dobbs. And that would have been because Aaron Rodgers keeps saying that he's going to be back this year. I can't imagine he'll be back this year, but Rodgers keeps telling us he's going to be back this year. That would have been a nice fill until Rodgers got back. And even if not, maybe Dobbs could win you a few more games. And nobody wants to win the AFC East. You look at the standings over there. Tell me who you believe in. Tell me who you would actually put money on to win a Super Bowl. The Patriots stink. The Jets stink, even though they're 4-4. Four and four. The Bills are a fraud. The Dolphins can't beat anybody good. They're 6-3, and three, but that's mostly on beating up on bad teams. I mean, I still think Miami's the best of those three teams. Wouldn't surprise me if Buffalo won the thing, but I don't think any of those teams are going to compete with Kansas City or Cincinnati or Baltimore. And then the other big injury is Nick Chubb because everybody was expecting big stuff out of the Cleveland Browns this year. And still, if Deshaun Watson can play at a, an above-average level, that defense, they got a running game with Jerome Ford, brought back Kareem Hunt, like they can still make some noise, but they're a pretender. They're not for real. You know, I mentioned that there's these new contenders. Do you believe in the in the Detroit Lions? Do you believe the Lions, who get the Chargers this week out in L.A., do you think that the Detroit Lions can truly restore the roar and get back to the NFC Championship game? Like, if they got to the championship game this year, that would be an incredible story. I think they're a top three or four team in the NFC. I think it's the Eagles. I still believe in the 49ers. Give me a healthy Debo Samuel back in that offense. I think that changes everything. I still believe the 49ers, who have lost three in a row, I still think that is a team that you cannot count out in the NFC. And then it's Detroit. Like, I don't believe the Cowboys are for real. I put the Cowboys in that pretenders category with the Miami Dolphins, with the L.A. Chargers, with the Buffalo Bills. Like, you can't, can you count on Dak or Tua or... I, Justin Herbert, I feel like you can count on Herbert, but I don't know. Can you count on Josh Allen not to turn the football over? He's not running with it as much as he did 
in previous years because they want to keep him healthy. But after you get past Philly, the Niners, and Detroit, I don't know if there's another contender in the NFC. Seattle's not for real. Nobody in the South is for real. Minnesota just lost Cousins. How much do you believe in Dobbs? That's the same question. And then there's the actual contenders. I mentioned the Eagles and Niners. I think the other three, actual Super Bowl contenders. Right now, I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes, obviously. I think the Bengals, but they've had so many health issues. The early problems for Joe Burrow earlier this year with the calf, although he looks healthy and back. But now you got T. Higgins, who's going to be out with a, with a hamstring injury, pretty much. I think they're talking about him as doubtful as of yesterday. Jamar Chase landed hard on his back. If you're a fantasy football player, I'll give you a name. Kira, write this down or pull out your phone. Trent Irwin. That is who you're going to want to add if you need a wide receiver, all right? Trent Irwin. Do I need a wide receiver? No, I don't need a wide receiver. I'm good. I'm still trying to figure out who's going to be my quarterback. Uh, But Trent Irwin is the guy who will replace T. Higgins, who actually caught like 10 balls for... 80 yards or something like that earlier this year when T was out. But I still think the Bengals are a contender. And I think I'm buying into the Baltimore Ravens. I think I'm buying into Baltimore. It's been an inconsistent year for Lamar. Sometimes he's quarterback eight. Sometimes he's quarterback 27. But they play nasty defense, as you expect out of Baltimore. They run the ball well. Gus Edwards is a guaranteed touchdown machine inside the five-yard line. So, my, if you gave me the field versus the Eagles, Niners, Chiefs, Ravens, and Bengals at this point, I would take the Eagles, Niners, Chiefs, Ravens, Bengals. But don't sleep on those Lions, man. Don't sleep on those Lions. And then the other storyline to me is just how bad some of these teams are. New England, terrible. Carolina, terrible. The Giants, because of injury, terrible. Arizona, tanking. They're terrible. Are we done? That's it? We are out of here? Man, I didn't get a chance to talk about Taylor Swift donating an autographed copy of a platinum record to Patrick Mahomes' charity auction. I had like 20 minutes on that. All right, fine. Uh, We'll do it again coming up next week. Thanks to Dennis Fithian from Rivals.com for joining me. Also to Peter Bukowski from Locked On Packers. If you missed anything, podcast the show. Check out ESPNDeMoines.com. Thanks to Kira for keeping us on the air. Live sports all weekend. Don't turn us off. Thanks for listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines.